0: <laughs> but like people were starting to freak out and praying and crying and shit on the plane it was it was like dude like i was i literally was like this is it for me like i never thought i would die on a fucking plane but i thought we were going to crash like emergency lane in the fucking mountains and crash you know hey.
1: Welcome everybody to another installment here at Wide Awake Radio. My name is Chris. I'll be your host as always. And today I'm super stoked because for a long time coming, I have been a gigantic fan of a particularly well-known publication and label by the name of Electric Hawk. And um, we were just super, super grateful that we get an opportunity to bring in one of E.H.'s artist and just get the opportunity to talk and hang out with Fryer. So for those of you that don't know, Fryer is an electronic music project by Matthew Fryer. The project aims to capture both heavy hip hop orientated underground beats with melancholy driven melodies to showcase a contrast between distorted sound design and polished harmonies. This contrast works to illustrate the fallings in and out of life, giving the listener a constant battle of overbearing bass lines and ethereal melodies to make you move. In a couple of words, Friar's sound is best described as being in a state of polarity, similar to that of life. Just earlier this month, Matt released an EP collab with Mersive via Wakhan and announced his upcoming showcase in the Revive Retreat in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. This festival features acts such as Buku, Mersive, Down, Slump, Break Science, Rekno, and Superfuture, and many more welcome aboard
0: oh yeah dude thanks for having me i'm so stoked to be on this with you
1: as i'm reading your description i'm particularly i want to go straight into it i'm particularly curious of the polarities that you describe both in your project and the polarities that you might find i guess congruent with your own life what polarities exactly does the fryer project refer to when it comes to i guess the, the philosophical approach of the polarities of life
0: oh dude that's a great question thanks for asking that uh if you look at some of my track titles, like "Falling In and Out" or "In Motion," there's a like consistency when it comes to certain words I use and kind of how they, what they mean, and you know what they can mean to you or whoever else. And for instance, like "Falling In and Out," that song was when I wrote the title of it. You know, I was kind of falling in and out of music at the time. I and I still do that, to where I um kind of can't commit all my time to music like I want to and I had to commit time to, you know, my college career and getting a job after that and, you know, you kind of falling out of a lot of your passions in life and it, it sucks, but it, it's just, you know, part of life and that's kind of what I was aiming towards. How, how long has this been a work in progress? Uh,
1: I know that generally what appears to be kind of like magic to the audience as far as like, oh, this person came out of nowhere, you know, did they just start producing, more times than not, these people have already been producing, these artists have already been producing for an extensive amount of time. How, how long has your production
0: um, experience looked like? So I, so I started making music in high school when I was like, <laughs> I was a wee freshman, like uh, um, 15. And um, I like, discovered this free audio software online called Audio Tool one day in class. And so like we had laptops in our school. And, um, and like, it was almost like SoundCloud, how it, how it works. It was like an online online where you can make music on it, but you could also post it to the same, like community or forum or website, whatever it was. it was like SoundCloud, except you can make music inside of SoundCloud. So other artists could see your song that you just made and posted and comment and like on it. So I did that like freshman year of high school and started on that. That was like eight or nine years ago when I first started making music. So it's been about yeah eight to nine years of making music. Then I think I started the Fryer project three years ago. Okay, and I take it that you're
1: probably still not using audio tools.
0: No, dude. But it's so funny to go back on there and mess it around and like listen to my old projects. Like, God, I remember this one time I like I I was like just getting started and I like only had a drum machine and a kick and a snare on my drum machine and I was like so hyped on this like four bar loop I made and I like grabbed my dad I was like dad check this shit out isn't this fucking rad <laughs> and, <laughs> and did dad fi- find in fact that it was rad uh I, he just kind of like he, he kind of gave me the classic dad like shrug and like laugh and like yeah like it sounds cool Matt <laughs> <laughs> Has, ha- yeah. have
1: your parents been supportive of your endeavor towards music what's what's their feeling towards it
0: Um, my, you know, it, for the longest time, I felt like they truly didn't understand, but like they, I think they, now they, they really get it, but, um, they've always been supporting me. Like I, dude, I have really loving parents and I'm really grateful for them. And, you know, like they're very supportive of me, no matter what. And I'm really, really, really happy to have the parents that I have. And, um, but until recently, like, uh, I took my mom to my Atlanta show that I played with Mercive um, back in December of God, I think was it I think it was 2019 December 2019 yeah yeah um, or was it 20 alright anyways it was I think it was 2019 December I brought my mom to the show and it was a sold out show at Terminal West in Atlanta with me Cosmic Andy Bruh and Mercive. and I was a director support for immersive so um she got guest listed she got that whole experience and she's you know it was a thousand person room sold out crowd and there's like this video i have on my instagram of me like giving my mom a shout out at the end of the show like i get on the mic and i'm like "Yo, everybody in the crowd my mom's uh, out there right now everybody tell you everybody on the count of three say i love you beth I have, like this cool video of everybody like saying they love my mom. So like I, she got it after that. She really understood, I think. And I think my dad kind of understands, you know. That's really wholesome. Yeah, dude. It was, dude, like I, I'm so happy my mom got experience. It. So whenever I'm making all these weird noises in the house, she's like, Oh, okay, I, I, I get it. But what do they make of that? Like <laughs>
1: it's such a strange, it's such a gigantic difference from the music that, you know, 30 years ago was popular. Individually, how do, what, what do they think about the music?
0: You know, I mean, they probably strongly dislike the music in a sense of like, you know, it's 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 really basic. It's uh, it's not the top ten country songs playing right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like uh, like my my parents are super, or my mom's at least very traditional, conservative. You know, my dad's a little bit more of a rocker, but like, you know, they don't know what to think of it. They don't know what to think of like trying music in general. Okay, like, okay. it's all. It's all techno music to them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. If it were up so, to your parents, like, what, did they have a particular trajectory for you? Like, you know, go to school and maybe become a lawyer or a doctor? Or was it always, like, was it a little bit more open-ended as if, like, hey, it, it's up to you to kind of decide that on your own?
0: Um, Kind of both. I mean, they, like, they pointed me in a certain direction they wanted me at, but they also gave me the freedom to be, like, you know, like, if you want to go to school for this, like, you can. But also, like, we want you to go to school. Okay. Um, right. So, what should, dude, I was all on board for? Like, I honestly, I miss school so much. I want to go back and get a doctorate, like, just because I love being a student. But yeah, like, you know, like, they were conservative in the sense uh, my mom's a CPA. So, like, and my dad was a director of a communications company. So, they were both in business and, They understood like what they, they, they at least thought they knew what was best for me when it came to my life and they knew school was part of that plan. They just, my, but my dad also hated his job and his job didn't make him happy at all. My mom was kind of more of like, she liked her job. She didn't hate it, but she wanted me to be happy regardless. So like they were, they were open to when it came to, you know, what I wanted to go to school for, what I wanted to spend my time and money on.
1: And that's, that's a kind gesture on their behalf. I, I've, I've spoken to many of an artist and where their parents are specifically more focused towards like the successful formulaic of like, hey, so long as you have an economic foundation and, you know, you're, you're, you're living comfortably, then it really doesn't matter the job that you pick. But right. it's fascinating how like over time we've been able to romanticize work in a way in where it should be something that we love rather than kind of like an arranged marriage type of deal and where it's like, oh, well, you know, you'll learn to love it because you have to. So it's it's fascinating seeing how like the new generation of parents
0: exactly and dude uh, advice is such a weird thing because like people give advice based off of their own failures or their own experiences right like like there's no reason to give my advice on something you know nothing about like you give advice on something you experience but it's all subjective and, rel- and relative because like everybody experiences everything differently so you know I I, I understand like if if my kid came up to me and said like, yo, I want to make fucking noises on, on this computer dad. And like, I want to play it in a dark room with, with, a huge sound system with a bunch of sweaty people. And like, that's <laughs> what I love doing. I would like, I'd be like, dude, you're an idiot. Like go back to your room and study. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, like I get it, you know, like I get this, this like, uh, the safe space. You want your kid to grow up? In. Cause I like, do like, it's the parent's job to, make sure their kid grows up to be, you know, a well-functioning adult. So, I get it. But also you want to have fun and you want to enjoy life. So, if you if my kid was really passionate about something, you know, like go for it. Did
1: your parents like have any opinions or thoughts about like what did they make out of uh, you know, all the kids with listening to the EDM
0: music? Um, I think it was like kind of a shock to where like they they've never they never seen something like that to where, to where like all these kids can really enjoy just like this one person on stage, you know, playing out a, a whole set. Like it's not this full band. They like, they didn't understand how first we played music and second, how we made music. Right. So like, there's like an education factor with that with just saying like, hey, like this is like, you know, how we do it is the whole production and this is like this is what people like about that production you know like this is what's appealing so like i had to educate them on that and like and like I said, my dad still doesn't truly really get it. My mom gets it after seeing the Atlanta show and seeing how people react to music live in that setting. My mom told me, like, because I, I was checking in on her, like, every five minutes. It's funny, dude. I was a parent at my own show. It's my parent. Like, I was, like, checking in on my mom every five minutes to make sure nothing bad happened to her, like... <laughs> And like made sure she was around my friends that were at the show, you know, good influences. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I was like, mom, like if you want to drink, like I have like guest list drinks or something, but like please don't like talk to anybody else. Like, (laughs) like, like no offense to like the concert goers, but like you're my mom, and like (laughs) (laughs) just say no, mom. (laughs) If they offer you anything, just say no. (laughs) Yeah, drugs are bad, mom.
1: (laughs) It's funny how the roles are reversed. I mean, eventually we'll be taking care of them, you know, and so it's yeah. That's that's a good that's a good mentality. Well, I mean, it sounds like you definitely had a particularly good upbringing. Were you were you a single child? Or did you have any brothers or sisters?
0: Oh uh, dude, I have a brother that's three and a half years older than me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a uh, so uh, I grew up with that family. Like, a uh, my nuclear family is mom, dad, and brother.
1: Okay. Yeah. And does your brother do anything related to music industry, or is he like, did he follow? Um like a more traditional path as far as maybe like school and then from school, maybe going to a corporate job or what?
0: So me and him have like similar paths, if that makes sense. So like, uh, he, he, me and him both went to the same high school. Then he went away to college and Campbell university, North Carolina to try and pursue a medical degree. But he kind of, he realized that's not what he wanted. So he came back and he's more of a, like me and him are both very empathetic when it comes to people Mm -hmm. but he he likes to serve other people so he went and he's getting his rn for nursing right now it's his last semester Mm -hmm. um which is more of a traditional path you know you go get this you go get a formal education then get a job in that education but he's been doing music longer than i have like he he teaches me guitar like he's played drums like me and him both have played violin. He plays piano. He also makes beats and stuff on his like computer, hmm. and he also like can sing. Like he's way more talented than I ever will be. But like, he never put out music consistently under a project with a goal. Is the only is the only difference, so I see.
1: Is there mm-hmm. ever like any you know? The... I grew up as a single kid, right? So I, I was kind of fortunate that I never was. I was never in a position where my parents would make any comparisons. And it doesn't sound like your parents would be the type, but, like, do they ever look at... You know, both you and your brother and be like, well, you know, you could always go back to school or you could always do something a little bit safer. I I would assume that generally parents are still going to side on on the realm of a little bit more of security and caution with their kid. Because ultimately, you know, they're looking out for you. But this whole dubstep and EDM world and these sweaty kids dancing in a dark room, like it still has to be so surreal that I I would imagine as a parent, I I wouldn't help but to be like, hey, you know, you could always become like a doctor like your brother or any comparisons like that being made at all.
0: Well so like dude, this is pretty funny, right? So like it was like two weeks ago I went by my mom's like CPA office here in Merrill Beach and like on her fucking desktop screen, dude, I was so I was so tilted. Like it's a picture of her and my brother and like <laughs> like not a picture of me in sight in her office and it's just like her home screen on her computer just her and my brother i'm like mom <laughs> i damn i'm in my feelings right now <laughs>
1: is it you know parents will never admit that they have favorites but it sounds like you might have a suspicion of sorts
0: dude yeah i told her i'm like you know i'm never bringing you to another show again <laughs>
1: you can get your own <laughs> drinks no more drink tickets right? yeah me.
0: right are exactly. you closer to, to your dad or mom uh dude i'm definitely a mama's boy okay. like a thousand percent a mama's boy
1: and i think that that Largely, it's normally where, where empathy comes from. I think it's a little bit easier for, for women to display empathies and to kind of pass that down to their children.
0: Yeah, dude, for sure. Like, my dad, you know, like, I respect the show. My dad, I think he's one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. He, like, he coached my baseball teams when I was younger. He, like, introduced me to sports, and, like, he introduced me to, to work and, like, a bunch of good qualities I have. But, like, my mom also has a really good heart. And um, she showed me, you know, she, she showed me the behaviors to be a good person and to be kind to others. And like, I, I really don't take that for granted. You
1: know, we talked a little bit um, off off air about how your release with Wakon, how it happened, you know, a little bit of the history of how all of that kind of aligned together. Walk us through a little bit of how you ended up going from high school, working on audio tools to all of a sudden you ending up on a pretty established label and working under particularly established publication as well. And we're like, Hey, you have, you have a momager, you know, which we'll cover later. Um, but you have like this, <laughs> this, this very clear team of people that support you and, you know, walk us through how that happened.
0: Dude, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky to be in the position I am in. Like, it's it's crazy that, dude. Like, uh, whenever I first started making music eight years ago, it took me so long to just have my friends listen to my music, and like, I I can't believe like how far I came from that. And it, it took a long time, but it's it was so much. It was worth it. But uh, so whenever I so whenever I started the Fryer Project i started it under so currently i'm an electric hawk artist and mary at mary agin is my is my manager and booking agent she's fucking awesome literally the hardest working like person i know in the industry like she has to put up with my shit like i love her to death she's like the best manager can't hype her up enough like 10 out of 10 but i wasn't always with electric hawk whenever i was doing music and i started with wavecraft collective when i first started um the fryer project three years ago and that was a collective with um a bunch of my hometown friends that we started that was also making bass music at the time and uh we kind of started on there for two years ha- played some shows in south carolina released a lot of like Homies music like we actually released like Andy, we released immersive and matters. track hit that on that label. Mm-hmm. We released some Mize, some Atheny, some um, some frequency, some mindset. We've released a lot of um, upcoming big artists that like you might see nowadays. Mm. And um, so, like that was super fun. And um, but a lot of our friends fell out of music because of real life responsibilities and other commitments. So. You know, I, I thought it was best to, if I wanted to move my music career further, so, you know, connect with people that also had the same goals aligned with mine. And, you know, Mary happened to be a friend that I met through uh, Joe or Matheny, and we kind of connected and we talked it out, and, you know, we figured it would be a perfect way to push each other musically. And now I'm under Electric Hawk, which I'm like, dude, super grateful for. Like, they, they're they awesome people. They're kicking butt, 100%. Yeah, they're killing it, dude.
1: And so how did that develop into, you know, a release through a con? Walk us through that that process.
0: So me and, me and Andy, whenever me and him made music, or uh, whenever me and him made In Motion.
1: And, and just to clarify, ca- uh, Andy is immersive.
0: Andy, yeah, Anderson is immersive. I call, I'll be probably calling him Andy just because I, I don't know, like I'm used to calling him Andy, I guess. Mm-hmm. But so, me when me and him met, I think, uh, I think what happened was. I kept bugging the shit out of him, like, on Twitter, Instagram. I was like, yo. <laughs> I was like, yo, check this idea. I was that annoying kid that was, like, in in your DM, just like, yo, check this whip out, blah, blah, blah. But I think he he already followed me, and he knew me as a, another, like, artist peer guy that, like, you know, was in the same sphere as him. Mm-hmm. But I was just, like, I was very persistent. Like, you know what? I think this idea is, like, very in your realm of music. And I think me and you have similar styles and tastes, and I think we should try this out.
1: And this was and after you had already released through Wavecraft?
0: Or yeah, yeah, Wavecraft. this is, yeah. And, like, that's kind of how I, you know, like, that was the door that opened for me. I was like, oh, okay, like, we have his connect through Wavecraft. Like, I'm not going to try and exploit my powers through Wavecraft, but also, like, I love your music, and, like, I think this would be a great opportunity. Um, so... It started how most collabs do, where it's like you know, like you're just like this peer that's not really your friend that you're just bouncing ideas back and from, and like the fact that In Motion took like two years to actually come out, like kind of gave time to feed that relationship and like eventually became. And what caused friends it to take from that? so
1: long? Like, was it a lot of revisions, a lot of back and forth? What, what, what was the uh, time? Yeah, so. Like?
0: the The timeline for that was honestly, In Motion was finished a year in. It was, and it took a whole year to kind of plan out the release and figure out because with COVID happening, we kind of had to push the timeline even further back and decide. You know, is it best to wait later on in the year to release it since there's no shows happening right now, or you know, go through that. And I, I don't know the true reason why it took so long to release. I think it was because Andy. Like both of us had different stuff going on at the time and it wasn't a priority to get it out as soon as possible, you know? And I think Andy was working on like several other EPs and also an album. So like I felt needy or bad pushing him to focus on this one single that we had together. So it was like, you know, like I'll focus on this on my stuff and you can focus on what you need to. And like, we'll come back to this. Like, it's not an urgency to, you know, put this out right now. Right.
1: And just kind of let it organically kind of come on and take life of its own.
0: Yeah, exactly. And dude, that was, and like, we, we both had the goal, you know, like, we want not release it through a con. like, I think it would be the perfect label to release it on. And like, he knew it was one of my goals as well, too. So like, we had just had to be patient.
1: Where, where did it get to the point where you guys are playing RuneScape and now hanging out on a more like consistent friendship level? Where, where, where was the breaking point?
0: I think once we finally met, whenever I played the Atlanta show. With him, like, cause we we both stayed in a room together with also one of my other homies in wavecraft uh, Dugas. He, I brought him as a guest list, as long, along with my mom and my brother. But, um, I, me, Dugosh and Mersive, all or Andy stayed in the same hotel room together for that show in Atlanta, and we, uh. We kind of, you know, like we, it wasn't, it wasn't weird. It wasn't like unnatural. Like we were all joking and laughing. Like it was very easygoing and like, it wasn't, nothing seemed off. And like, it just seemed like we were all, all already friends that night. So like, it was super cool. And I, and I think after that. Like, our, me and Andy's sense of humors really fit really well together. Like, it, it, it's very back and forth. And, like, we can joke and roast each other. And, no, and, like, there's no feelings hurt and shit like that. So, like, it was, dude, like, it worked out really well. And after that, one, once I told him, like, I played RuneScape. I, like, I remember we were in the hotel room. We were talking about RuneScape. He's like, yo, dude, like, is that game still around? I used to love that game. I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, they have old school RuneScape out right now. He's like, no shit. I, I'm like, yeah. And so, like, he... Uh, ever since then we've been playing and hopping in discord and, you know, playing video games and chilling and talking music for the, so me and Andy are about to play the retreat at the end of the month together, but he's playing the day after I am. But like, uh, for instance, like for the Atlanta show with us, staying in the same room together, you know, like, uh, it's, it's pretty, you just respect each other's space. You know, once we got to the venue, Andy, Andy like was, had to work on his set or like perfect his set a little bit more before the show. So like, We all left him to his, you know, his laptop and his, and his, uh, tractor and mix that he's working on. So other than that, you know, he, he came out and hung around all of us. That was, uh, you know, all got there together. Then he was hanging out with people in the crowd, literally during the opener sets. And during my set, he was in the crowd and like, you know, he just, he, Andy's such a, like, I hate to be on his like dick right now, but he's a very lovable guy to where like, like, you know, he was out there connecting with his fans that came to the show. He was out there taking pictures with like my mom. My mom is like, oh, like the headliner, let me like Merce of one of Matt's friends. Let me take a picture. Like super, super humble, cool guy. So like the demystifying, I guess, like, you know, like we're all just kids that like making music. And like we, we also like connecting with other people that are in the same realm as us, you know, like, I've never had bad experiences with most artists in the scene. A lot
1: of folks that look at musicians, they their 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 cont- their context and experience with them is particularly at shows, right? And so it's a party environment, right. And the artist is there to provide that entertainment. And they it's understandably it's understandably misleading for a fan to believe that a majority of the lifestyle around an artist is focused on partying a majority if not so many of the artists that i've come in contact with and that you get a chance to to meet and that you get a chance to know is that they spend most of their time whether it be at home or in their studio in front of a computer and you know rotating between music production to maybe some video games on the side and then back to more music production and so to contextualize a little bit of what the experience is like hey you know when you guys arrive at your hotel or you guys are arriving at your your destination um, it, it kind of humanizes the idea that, hey, at the end of the day, this is work, right? And and although it yep. is really, really fun work and although it's really rewarding, at the end of the day, it's like what keeps this business running? Because it, it's a business at the end of the day, right? That's what your brand is. What keeps the lights running is ultimately the music that you're creating, and you need to be in front of that computer in order to crank out those tunes.
0: That's Yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah, to, to name... For instance, like you saying like, oh like uh the the life beyond the stage, I guess. Like most artists are just normal people that just, you know, play video games and probably they probably often have another job besides, you know, working on music to support themselves while they work on music. And, you know, like this we're there at the show to have just as much fun as you are, but it's still a job and we still have to be professional and like usually the ones that don't take it professionally, you know, like not saying you can't have fun, but like, you know, treat it as just a way to feed into all their vices. Like usually those fade out and don't last that long, but you know, right? But the artists I, I like to surround myself with usually have a very chilled laid back personality and then also take their job fun, but also still treat it like it's a job, you know. A little
1: bird told me that um, you're known for stealing lunch money.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do Tell us a
1: little bit about that.
0: Oh, dude, the whole Friar meme on Twitter. I, so, like, I have, like, a I have Twitter memes, I guess, about me, of, like, me being a bully that, like, will steal <laughs> your lunch money. And it, it all started from, like, this picture I posted. I during quarantine, I was going crazy and, like, I was using social media just to have fun and like connect with people, and I got on Twitter and I posted like a mirror pic with me like with a knife in one hand and like I just tweeted it out saying "fuck you" or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was like I hate you and fuck you like, but it was like very it was like very jokingly and like I looked stupid and like it was it was funny. It's so, like the meme and Electric Hulk is like like. Like, Matt from Fryer is going to steal your lunch money. Yeah, I think my tweet was, like, hey, it's I'm Matt from Fryer here, and fuck you. And it's, like, me with a knife or some stupid shit. Like, very unintimidating picture of me with a knife. I, I don't take myself that serious as a person, um, or at least I try not to, just because, like, you know, like, it, it wears on your mental health if you do. Um, so... I was going crazy in quarantine. I thought it would be funny, and it, it was. It was funny, and Electric Hawk memes me out as you know being the lunch bully that would take your lunch money. So I just kind of and people like that meme. People really like you know the Matt from Fryer meme. Mm-hmm. So I I just kind of play into it a little bit.
1: You know, and I'm also particularly curious with with some of the earlier allegations that happened during the month, um, as far as there being artists that behaved contextually definitely out of order, but that weren't necessarily incredibly representative of their brand. I'm curious where the divide is between who a person is when, you know, they're at home and chilling in their, you know, in their sweatpants and maybe mucking music to the person that comes out on stage and provides this experience and this entertainment type of perception. Um, I guess I'm, I'm curious as far as what polarities might exist there. Is there sides of Matt from Fryer Music that or I should say Fryer from Fryer Music that people get to see only on stage and that might not see, you know, that they might not see interpersonally, or I guess what I really want to ask is, what is the difference between the performer and the person behind the studio, right? Like the the regular everyday person that brushes their teeth and puts on their pants one leg at a time.
0: So I guess the main difference is on stage I'm more you know, like I want everybody to have a good time. Obviously, that's my job—is to you know let the crowd have a good time and enjoy the time I have up there as well. And also, when I'm connecting with other artists at a show or like you know uh, people that came to see the show, I'm very—I try to be as positive as I can. You know, like you know, make other people feel as comfortable as they 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 need to be and like happy. You know, and I'm happy to be with them. I'm also happy to talk with as many people that want to talk with me at a show. I don't get the opportunity often to meet new people. So, you know, I always enjoy doing that. But you know, when I'm at home, I spend like, I don't know, like I, it's not a stop story or whatever. Cause I, I like spending a lot of my time alone, but I spend like majority of my time alone, um, outside of events like that. I'm more, I mean, I'm extroverted in the sense of, I like to meet new people. I I really do appreciate my own free time when it comes to, you know, in my bed alone, you know, watching Netflix or working on music or reading a book or, you know, stuff like that.
1: I've heard that spending time alone and and uh, ultimately isolating yourself and minimizing the amount of influences that you have externally when it comes to interpersonal relationships has been incredibly beneficial towards creativity so
0: i I worked a nine to five job through the weekdays and i spent a lot of my time during that job talking to customers and stuff like that and like you know that kind of drains you of all your social uh like it's almost like how like there's certain Like, for instance, like willpower is a finite resource, I believe. Like if you spend all your time resisting something, your willpower like drains up and you can't resist something else as easily. Mm -hmm. I think that's also true for your social life. You know, like your social battery drains up and like you have to recharge it by decompressing and spending time alone. And that feeds into creativity 100%
1: how is how what is your relationship with music like when you go into the studio and you're thinking to yourself okay i get finally some time on my own and some time to decompress does does music serve as a it sounds like it serves as a form of therapy for you but like what is your is it a means to is it a means for expression is it a means of escape
0: i dude i think definitely both of those it's like music has always been an escape for me you know like i was that kid that was, like, you know, in the back of their parents' car on a long road trip that was listening to music the whole time and, like, picturing himself in the music video and, like, you know, I was a rock star in this song or some shit like that, you know, like, like or just imagine music videos for songs, like, like I don't know. Like, music's always been an escape for me from whatever boring, like, situation I was in. You know, it excites me. It takes away the mundane the mundane out of my life. It's the part of me that's very exciting and young and like while like you know I, I have to be somewhat adult in my other professions. You know, music is the thing that still makes me a kid. I really appreciate that about it.
1: I don't know if you're familiar with Alan Watts, but like uh, one of the things that um, one of the quotes that really stuck with me a whole bunch is of how approaching any creative pursuit ultimately keeps you very childlike and and it's this childlike approach towards the world that keeps us i mean ultimately it's not even just from a point of happiness but it's like from a point of, of a certain level of enlightenment right and where we can see the world with a fresh pair of eyes rather than the monotony of being an adult
0: dude yes a thousand percent alan watts is a genius i used um one of his quotes and one of my mixes I just released from Electric Cock, uh the Harmony Festival they did. Like I use Alan Watts's uh, quotes about like life after death and shit during one of my intros. And, you know he's very introspective and I really like his, uh, really like his insight on life. You know Alan Watts being like I guess a
1: personal bit of a role model for me. Aside from your parents, it sounds like have you had any other role models, whether they be fictional or nonfiction? Any other role models in your life that have? Almost kind of paved the road for you, not only as a musician but but as a person.
0: Um, I'm not sure if I've had any role models outside of my, you know, my parents or my brother or like people, just friends. Because I think I find positive qualities and like a lot of my friendship friendships and like you know, I see things that I don't have that other people have positive about them and really try to work on that. But you know, besides that um I read a lot of philosophy I guess so like you say how Alan Watts is one your like you know role models I like try to branch out from my traditional Christian upbringing by reading a lot of you know philosophy that talks against you know you know you don't have to be a Christian to have a sort of set of moral high ground and like you know like other other philosophers I look to almost as role models in the same sense as like you know I would look to Jesus as a role model for my Christian upbringing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they, they, they had very good virtues, and they taught very good things, and they had an impact on people.
1: Any particular philosophers that come to mind?
0: Um, Yeah, so currently I'm reading Epi- Epictetus. He was a, a Stoic philosopher. Um, oh, he was a peasant of Rome. Yeah, mm-hmm. Stoicism. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, dude, super cool guy. Like, uh, he was... A peasant of Rome and he was a slave, but he taught literally the Emperor of Rome um Marcus Aurelius. Wait, you know, so all... he taught
1: Marcus Aurelius?
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. This, he, the same Marcus he, Aurelius
1: yeah. that then wrote Meditations, which yep, is kind of like a exactly. pinnacle of stoicism
0: that's exactly what so dude i want okay i read meditations before i read uh discourses by epictetus okay and it was like a very good precursor to epictetus because like basically like like marcus even quotes epictetus a lot in that book but um it's more of a general you know like marcus write down his everyday thoughts while discourses by epictetus is like um it's more of epictetus teaching a school of students his own philosophy and you know thoughts about life and I see. like yeah, yeah yeah
1: so it's more like it sounds like the, the 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 way that it's presented seems to be more focused on education because in marcus aurelius it seems to be more like it's, it's more reflective it's more like kind of like he's right. having a conversation with himself that was yeah it's approach.
0: a diary yeah yeah right. for sure it's a diary he kept that he uh he, like, he didn't even want it to be published. It's just they found it after he died and they didn't know what to call it. So they called it meditations because, you know, it was that reflection to himself.
1: I see. And, and for those that are listening that um, might have either heard of Stoicism or might not be even familiar with it, it's an ancient school of philosophy. Uh, it was found in Athens. And it's a school that taught virtue being the highest good, um, which is based off of knowledge. The wise live in harmony with divine reason which is also identified as fate and providence that governs nature, and who are indifferent to the vicissitudes of fortune and to pleasure of pain. Um, the best way that I can understand, and I'd love to hear what, you th- what your thoughts ultimately, on this, Ultimately, is is it's very similar to Buddhism, which I really appreciate. There's a lot of very similar commonalities in where they kind of make peace that suffering is inevitable, or I should say that pain is inevitable. Um, but it's ultimately how we show up and deal with said pain or adversity that dictates what man really
0: is. Yeah, dude, you know a fuck ton about this shit that I had no clue you would know about. (laughs) (laughs) I love it.
1: I I know a little bit more about Buddhism than I do about Stoicism, but I I can appreciate a lot more about Stoicism um, because of, you know, there's commonalities. And I think, I, I believe that the truth is consistent, right? And so whether you're studying Christianity or Stoicism or Buddhism or Judaism or whatever, you know, I think ultimately there's so much commonality between all these philosophies and all these religions that it's more important as far as what the teachings have to offer rather than the specific anecdotes or the specific names or or titles that are associated to them.
0: Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. Like, yeah, totally agree. Um, that's, that's a very well, well said statement. Um, I think a lot of people can get behind that and like, I, I don't like the animosity between like religious talk, but like, I think, like you said, everything is kind of pointing towards something and there's a lot of commonalities and there's a lot of takeaways and it's probably wrong to dismiss a whole like set of beliefs just because of like a certain antidote you had in life from it. You know, it's that's the wrong way to look at it. I think, um, but dude, no stoicism is a great philosophy that, that honestly helped me a lot during like this whole quarantine COVID stuff. Like, it brought me a lot of inner peace because you know like the whole what i get from stoicism it's exactly what you said when it says you know life comes with pain but it's all about how you position yourself towards that pain that matters you know like like there's all this shit that happens in the world but it's it but what you have control over is your own opinion about it not you don't have control over what happens right you know like you let you your stoicism claims to say you know what matters most to you is your own thoughts, not out anything outside of that. And that really, that really hit me when it came to COVID and quarantine, you know, like I was, I'm sure like everybody else was, you know, was in a dark spot whenever we couldn't go see our friends or go to shows. And like the world was like, you know, we were all, worried about this new illness that came out that could possibly hurt our loved ones and our family members and you know it it hurt it hurt our sources of income and you know happiness and pleasure and all that good stuff so i think stoicism was kind of my antidote to that Mm. when i started reading meditations and like you know really practicing practicing stoic behaviors like taking cold showers you know depriving myself of pleasures um And kind of learning that external factors have no input on your own happiness. You know, they kind of take away from it. And, like, the only way to kind of fix that happiness is, you know, to work on your external self and really tame your thoughts and train yourself to think a certain way about things. And, you know, that really helped me.
1: My understanding is that in Paradise, that that track is a little bit of the representation of your particular, like, explorate like your your self exploration process throughout the quarantine. Is, is is my understanding of that correct?
0: Yeah, no, that's super correct. It was supposed to be like at least on my end and I, I can't speak for Andy, but for my end it was more of a contrast, you know, of what I was feeling and, you know, what I, I, I assume a lot of people are going through. You know, we weren't going through any kind of paradise. You know, Andy 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 tweeted like he wanted to put a lot of healing energy into the CP. And I think for me, that translates into, you know, I want people to see some sort of like, you know, like we're not all living through a paradise, but, you know, music is that escape for us and music is that sort of <clears throat> inner inner peace that we can find. And I, I really resonated with that title track and what I was going through at the time, you know, my mental battle I was going through and trying to find try not to be the oh mopey sad boy you know like it's so easy to feel sorry about yourself like oh no shows i can't make money like blah 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 mm. like it's easy to be selfish and all that stuff when you're going through it but you really it's really your responsibility as a person to take control of yourself and take control of your thoughts and you know end up on the better side of it
1: i love that it's your responsibility to take control over your thoughts and yourself and exactly. yep. I remember that when I was in a darker stage in my life, it would be really easy for me to be like, oh, well, of course these people are happy because look at all the good things that are happening to them. I'm curious right. of maybe what suggestions you would have to a younger form of yourself before you came across, I guess, this this level of insight or this particular perspective of what you would say to yourself that might make it a little bit easier for you to try to make sense of the world and maybe be a little bit kinder to yourself as far as how you're approaching the world in a way that can be particularly harsh, especially during times like these.
0: I guess, I guess, you know, delete social media for a little bit, read more, put down, you know, put down your cell phone. That's like, that was one of the biggest things that, you know, really, really brought happiness to me and peace during all this COVID and quarantine was like getting away from my cell phone and, you know, spending time reading with my family or, you know, with, with outside running and working out, you know, I, I spent a lot of time taking control of habits, that would benefit me in, in, in a mental stability way, rather than, you know, just diverge into pleasure that was right in front of me, whether, you know, it was food or, or alcohol or drugs or, you know, like anything like porn, or for example, like, you know, like the, the pleasures that you could just escape into immediately. Like, I I try to really work on things that not just only delayed pleasure, but, you know, were healthy habits that I, I I try to stick to today. Build better habits. Like that's, that's very, very constructive to a good life is to replace bad habits with good habits.
1: I hundred percent agree. And if if someone listening to this would be like, hey, you know what, I think, um, Matt might have a point here, and I'm really curious on maybe jumping into this 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 new world that, uh, maybe I've heard or maybe I'm I'm just beginning to get familiar with where would be a good starting point for them to start? Maybe whether it be learning how to control their thoughts or developing better habits, where where would be a good starting point you'd refer them to?
0: Dude, the best thing that I've done, because like it's, it's hard to, it's hard to control your thoughts when you don't like kind of can, or at least for me, I'm like, A very visual person Mm -hmm. i started keeping a journal with me like i would i I, I need to write more in it but i would write in like a journal my thoughts like every day and like kind of be my own therapist in a way where it's like you know you write down your inner your inner thoughts whether they're good or bad and that kind of sets you up for you know thinking through stuff clearly and understanding if the thoughts you have make sense or if they're just crazy or if like You know, you reflect a lot on that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good for you. And that's a good starting point. But in a good place to listen to advice and information, I would say is YouTube was my friend. You know, like looking up just these simple brief videos on these subjects that also give advice and point you in the right direction are very useful and free tools you can use. Like um, the one YouTuber I watched, I can't pronounce his name, but it starts with the E. But he has a lot of um, videos on Buddhism, Taoism, Stoicism. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of free content out there. That's that's who I remember watching the most. So.
1: I really like how you made a, a point about journaling. Um, so a little bit of context is that uh, some of my background falls around life coaching. And the specific science of what journaling, what makes journaling so successful when it comes to self-therapy, to, to kind of expand a little bit more on that, is that when you when you provide a language to your experience whether you know that experience that you're having is whether it be frustration or anger or hope or despair whatever the emotion is when you provide vocabulary to it you're giving yourself the opportunity to create closure and when you create closure it's almost like you're giving a space for it to exist without having to continuously hold on. So the really powerful thing, that's such a
0: great way to say it. That's awesome. That's a great way to say it. Right. So
1: it makes perfect sense that, you know, you would be at a stage in where you're saying, Hey, you know, I can find happiness within myself or, and, and, you know, of course it's not to say that you'll always be in a permanent state of happiness. Like life happens. Right. But if if you're given the resources or the tools in order to cultivate, um, what it means to be put specifically maybe like wholesome and and, and what it means in order to be just generally healthy on both an emotional, mental, and physical state, then as these stimulus and as the world comes at you, it might knock you off your balance for a little bit, but you can then find that stability by practicing and establishing these habits and these thought patterns that are ultimately substantially better for you, you know? One of the things that we, we had discussed um, before we got on the call was about how, um, you know, we're I'm, I'm pretty terrible when it comes to social media. And you kind of explained that, that, you know, you're not a gigantic fan of social media as well. Um, and so it, it makes sense that the more that you unplug, not to say that there's anything inherently wrong, but, you know, content-wise, it's so, it's so common to just hear about all the things that are wrong with the world through social media.
0: Yeah, I think i i first of all, that was a very very coherent way of saying what i was trying to say so thank you that <laughs> hey, that I, that that makes a lot of sense to me what you just i couldn't
1: is. have done it without you
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that was that was a great I, I applaud you but also yeah social media like it I think mainly I have narcissistic and all, I think everybody does, but I think I, I think social media plays into my narcissistic and cynical tendencies, you know, like, I don't know, you get all this information at once and you also fall in the comparison trap with people. Then you also like, you know, you think you're the... You, your ego gets inflated from it then also like there's so many traps that fall into it if you let yourself like not pay attention to these shortcomings of it and I, I just think it's important to be aware that social media is a tool and it depends on how you use it but like dude I don't know Twitter is I, I like Twitter for the humor and I connect best with people on there on a genuine level mm-hmm. Instagram not so much um but Facebook is more messy. I don't really get on Facebook too often. I think it I I just don't I just prefer Twitter if I'm going on social media. But yeah, I yeah, the I don't I'm not the biggest fan. I, I tend to know the happiest parts of my life or the more more, I guess the best way to say it is not happiness, but like tranquil and like peaceful parts of my life is when I spend less time on my so phone or on social media.
1: So as we talk about the different points or the different things that you do in your life to kind of maintain that level of peace and that level of tranquility, I know that music production is a really important thing. When you approach your doll and when you're at the studio um when you're making music tell me a little bit more about that process is 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 the music that you're making is it is it for you is it for mom is it are, do you have a particularly intended audience of when you're creating music in the first place
0: um mary i make music for my manager mary she tells me exactly what i need <laughs> she, she, if it if it doesn't pass it her it doesn't it doesn't get posted. no i'm just kidding but like uh do i make music or do i make music for other people right like I I think a little bit of both. And I think this plays into the whole, like, you know, making very experimental music versus making, like, marketable, consumable music. Mm-hmm. And I think it all depends on, you know, like, who what your goal as an artist is. And my goal is to, you know, connect with listeners and also make music I'm genuinely excited to play and make and, you know, have other people listen to but also be danceable and be, and perform really well in a live setting to where everybody can get down to it. And I that's kind of my goal as an artist, you know, have consumable but a little bit experimental music that I'm excited about. That That's my goal. And this will probably be
1: easier, you know. It's easier to ask than it is to explain, but I'll try it anyway. How do you find the balance between creating music that is ex- still experimental and that you're still kind of pushing boundaries, but not to the point in where it sounds completely alien and unforeign or, or t- too foreign for people to understand, and then separately still create music that's relatable and that's still – the word they used was that, that it's consumable. How do you find a happy medium between the two?
0: It's so hard, dude. I, I, it's something like – it's a reason why I'm so slow when it comes to putting out sears Because I, I've just found a style for myself that I'm really happy about but it's, it's hard. It's a hard balance to hit. And there's very few artists that can perfect it. Or like, at least in my opinion, like do a really good job at it. Like G Jones, for example, is like a perfect example of a very experimental artist that makes music that is very consumable and not, not in the sense like he's sold out, but also, but in the sense like it's, it's easy to, it's hard to not move to. And it's, it's hard to not like, and and hard to not enjoy in a live setting with your friends and shit and get, and get excited about it. that. That's what I mean by that. But I don't know, dude, I think it, I think for me, when I, when I'm writing music, it comes a lot down to the drum patterns I'm using. Cause that's what really creates the groove in our music is like, you know, the hip hop grooves and kind of all the breaks that happen. That's what really keeps people moving. Mm. And, and I, I, I guess I put a lot more effort into you know making sure those patterns all fit a consistent basis with me when it comes to you know if I if I if it's hard to keep my head still when listening to the song then it's probably going to be a good song to play out live you know and mm-hmm. I, I think there's a, I think there's a line to be crossed when it comes to experimental music like there's a lot of music that's that can be not the best music to listen to live because it doesn't have these sort of grooves or patterns in it that create that, you know, that, that head bobbing feel or that, that movement you get from it. It's, it's more or less standing there. Like, you know, what the fuck is this? Like, it sounds really fucking cool, but I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think that has its own place and it's still respectable it's just as a artist my goal is something different and and i still think it's like i i know artists that put out some songs like that and it's it's more to you know treat themselves as something different which is totally respectable you know like you can't put out the same kind of music all the time and still enjoy it it's nice to switch it up know the people that like your music is, is, is one part of it and knowing what they like, but also not letting that feed into, you know, what you want to make. But I think it's important to know that, you know, like you shouldn't be making music for other people, but also if you're a live artist, you want your music to be enjoyable to other people, right? right. Cause that's the whole point of performing live is, you know, to showcase your sound in an enjoyable way for the audience to listen. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's more of a art, art form to make experimental music and it's still art to make consumable music. It's just more of an, of a, uh, it's like th- there's no better best, right? Right. There's no, it's not black and white of what, what's better or best. It's more of, if you like making the craziest fucking sounds in your room, that's awesome. If you don't mind simplifying your your art and your big brain to something you know other people could wrap their heads around, that's also still really cool. It doesn't make you a worse producer. It's you know it just makes you a producer. So
1: yeah, I think that's how well I worded. I mean, it's, they're they're just different yeah. arts, different strokes for different folks. Um, exactly. When you give let's say when you give feedback that uh, was told to me, the word that I understand is your manager. Um what is what is what where does mom fall in this? Like what is she Where where does Mary fall in this as far as like how she perceives your art and like what type of feedback and what type of suggestions does does she kind of provide for you?
0: So I think one of the best attributes I can I can look for in a manager is like one if they can just put up with me in general because I'm a lot to put up with, and two like If they have the same vision I have, and they understand the vision I have for my own project, because then they know when I'm sending them like certain ideas, they'll have a different critique on it than I would, even if we have the same, you know, the same vision and goals for it. Mm -hmm. So she's she's awesome at me sending her ideas and her being honest about whether it fits this vision or not and whether it's waste or if it's there's better time spent elsewhere like if i send her a song i'm like hey like i'm trying something new do you think this would work well <clears throat> or like if does this fit the vision we want for this project blah, blah blah she's very great at being honest and also pointing me at a label or a direction to release that art depending on what kind of what style it is or what i made so she's awesome at that she has a very good understanding of the scene as a whole and my project as a whole and that's like that's very beneficial for me i
1: like how you started off with kind of appraising and appreciating the honesty that was behind that um i think that one of the observations that i made when i got a chance to talk to mary was that the relationship between the two of you was wasn't just simply out of business but that there was this really deep intention and and understanding and appreciation for the other person as a human being. And one of the things that we like to focus a whole lot here on the podcast and, and through the CE brand is to focus on the human aspect, right? Behind the music, behind the music industry and behind the art as a whole. The highest form of love that you can expend towards somebody else is honesty. Um, because it's from that honesty that people give the opportunity to take accountability, to take control of their actions, their thoughts, their world.
0: Dude, yes, a hundred percent. That's own point with me and Mary's relationship to where I can. She'll give me straight up honest feedback on what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, or how she feels about a song. But also, she's like you said, like a momager to where she she wants what's best for me, and I trust her with that, and that that goes a long way goes a long ways and we both have a certain level of respect for each other. You know, I respect that she's very honest with me and she, and I trust her to know what's best for me is my prior project.
1: Um, we talked about, you know, your, I guess, kind of like the support system that you have around you, right? Uh, Electric Hawk is an immensely helpful infrastructure and, and network that has given you the opportunity to, to get seen, and get to, to to network, and to meet all these other labels and these other points of contact. Mary gives you the honesty, the truth, and the necessary uh, emotional support, right, in order to direct you in a way that, that that's consistent to, to the Fryer project. Um, I also understand that there were some previous artists that had played a role in your development but due to some changing of circumstances that didn't entirely pan out and so what I'm referring to is specifically the bass nectar collab you know simultaneously you have this incredibly skilled and incredibly versatile artist that created a series of a a chain link of events as far as providing opportunities for artists um, but that simultaneously in his personal life behaved in a way that ultimately ended up diminishing and destroying a lot of the brand and a lot of the values that were behind it. Um, I'm really curious, Matt, as far as like what, what your interaction was with Lauren and what, I guess, what, what pieces were laid in place for you to rise through the influence that he had created in the music industry and, and ultimately, I guess, how that impacted you today.
0: Dude. Yeah. Lauren, that, that huge impact on me. Like one of the first, um, one of the uh, first electronic songs i probably ever heard that inspired me to make um, music that I'm making now was his remix to Ellie Goulding's song, Lights. And, like, you know, like, when that dropped, I was a freshman year, freshman in high school, and, like, I thought that was the craziest fucking song I've ever heard. And to this day, you know, it so inspires me when I listen to that song. And, and like, yeah, he was him and Skrillex were the first two inspirations I had to, you know, make wub wubs and all these electronic beeps and boops. So when all this stuff happened and came out about him recently, I was super distraught and very, not only as, you know, like somebody that was working on music with him, but just as a fan, I was like very bummed out to know the person I looked up to, you know, was not the kind of person I imagined or, you know, idolized, you know, it's. It was. It definitely brought down a lot of my positive and optimistic views on music. But you know, I learned from it, and I didn't let it affect me too much to where I went into a negative headspace. And I got out of it pretty fast. And I learned that I'm grateful for a lot besides. Besides all of that, you know.
1: My understanding of it is now that there's this gigantic vacuum. Where do you think the mat? I should say, where do you, where does Matt and where does the Friar Project fall and kind of like the long-term goals and, and ambitions and aspirations as far as what you believe the Friar Project can be about?
0: First off, the long-term goal for me would be like, you know, to play, to play big festivals like Bonnaroo and Coachella and play at Red Rocks one day. That That's the goal for Friar as a performer. But as, you know, as an artist and what I'm trying to cultivate with my music and people that listen to my music, you know, I... I really look up to what Bass Nature had or what Excision has or what Mersive has or what G Jones has mainly like Mersive and G Jones right now that I really connect to their fan base of their community and how people support them and how they they like you know like there's there's nothing I could say about G Jones as an artist or as a person or what what his fans do you know, like he seems like a very positive influence in this scene. And he makes great music and he's a great performer, you know, like that's somebody I would truly love to live up to be like, you know. And he do like like he like he uh like he gets people he's educating people on voting and stuff recently, you know, he's like one of the artists that's telling like telling people to go out and register to vote and like, you know, you know be active outside of this whole music that he makes you know he's not just an artist he's very humanized as well which is you know something i try to be like too Hmm.
1: i love how there is a very clear i guess merger of worlds between hey this is entertainment and you're here to have a good time and to have party but equally there exists a world outside of this you know that's integral that allows us to function and that's maybe the economic and the social political status and the social political world that we exist in, right? And so the merger between, hey, take accountability for what you're doing at their show, you know, preaching plur stuff, but then separately also saying, hey, take accountability for what happens outside of this world because it does affect this one. Um, so I think that I, I really love how your specific focus is towards these very types of actions, Um, I would dare you know let the date be you know October of 2020 I would dare say that um, I it sounds to me that the fire project will take a life of its own and if these are things that you can appreciate about other artists I wouldn't put it past you especially after this conversation I would not put it past you to not only go to meet them at that level but to even go above and beyond. So I'm oh, really damn, excited. That
0: was really nice. Yeah. That was really nice. Thank you, dude. I'm really <laughs>
1: excited to see what the Fire project is going to, whatever it's going to end up being in maybe a couple months or a couple years from now because, you know, the goal that we use within the platform of CE and what what ultimately I, I think is the, the largest goal, you know, for, for a lot of us in the industry, I think Mary would be included in this, is um, to arm people with the necessary examples of what role models look like and to showcase, hey, this is, This is what you do, and this is what leadership looks like. And whether or not you intend to be a leader, it's not really up to you. I mean, so long as you end up putting yourself in a position and where you're skilled at what you do, people are going to look up to you.
0: Yes, dude, dude, that's that's very true. And I'm glad you you mentioned Mary because Electric Hawk has been like that leader for I think during at least all of quarantine. They've been one of the leaders when it comes to online festivals and how you treat artists' relationships between – promoters and you know labels like they've been very very transparent and very like 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 i say like for g jones there's nothing i can say wrong to him him about any of his show experiences or how he treats people you know or any of that and the same thing goes for electric hulk and i'm not biased because i'm under electric hulk i chose them strictly for the reason of them being a leader um and like you know like People respect that and there's a lot of value in how you treat people and I think they really showcase that. And I'm super happy you mentioned that about Mary.
1: Yeah, and, and that goes for the you know, the team as a whole. I mean it, it definitely it, it breeds into the way that they they've done the harmony festivals, the way that they communicate. I mean all of it is, is packaged with a lot of love. And it's hard to ignore that. On the note yeah. of, you know, how you treat people, um, something that we had discussed previously is about how um, how personal relationships may matter more than what pe- what other people have to say about each other. Um, this was something that we had discussed previously and talked just a little bit about of how in this industry, of course, people notice the way that you treat others. And people then develop reputations of their own, for better or for worse, based off of how you treat others or, or the interactions that you have with them. Um, I know that there was a specific s- circumstance in where you said, hey, you know, there was Um, Without mentioning any particular names, there was a particular individual in where you had heard certain things about. But ultimately, when you got an opportunity to get to know them, you found out that maybe the the impressions that other people were getting or that you had heard previously weren't exactly accurate.
0: Right. Yeah. um, There's a lot of. There's a lot of he said, she said, or at least I feel like there might be on Twitter or, like, other platforms of social media. And everybody has opinions about other people and all that good stuff. And, like, that comes around to other people just through word of mouth. And I think it's really toxic to play into it and allow yourself to believe it without first, you know, knowing the person themselves. Because I wouldn't want somebody to just, like hear from somebody on twitter that saw me tweet a picture of me with a knife saying fuck you to just believe i'm this like you know this man child Mm -hmm. you know like for instance like that could be opinion you could get from that and that could be totally justifiable but i don't know uh how you treat others is very important and i think i try to give people the benefit of the doubt no matter what no matter what i hear and if they until they prove otherwise and i Mm -hmm. think that's The better mindset to play into it like unless you hear something that from a good friend of yours that just seems like I cannot talk or I cannot associate with this person like that's that's the line that I will not cross you know if like somebody one of my good friends gives me good reason to not associate then I won't and I'll respect that boundary but for the most part I try to give most people the benefit of the doubt when it comes to what I hear about them
1: you know, me too. I, I, I don't want to sound naive by saying that I generally believe in the good in people. I, I can definitely understand that there's plenty of, of, of dark things that lie within everybody, you know, and that's, you can't have the good without the bad. Uh, but equally, I've also recognized that some of the reputations that people develop largely come out of miscommunication or them just simply lacking the tact of how to have, whether it be difficult conversations with somebody else. Um, and then, I guess that kind of falls into politics, right?
0: yeah, exactly. It does. and we the music is a very social realm, and politics definitely play into it, and it's hard to navigate that um so like I said, like the best way for me to navigate is to treat others very nice, how especially how I would like to be treated with respect and Give people the benefit of the doubt because, you know, sometimes people grow and people, people, I like to think, learn from their mistakes. And if, if they show me that they haven't, then that's good reason to disassociate. But for the most part, you know, have a kind disposition towards most people and it will work out best for everybody.
1: You know, before we wrap up, any funny stories?
0: I don't know. All right. There's a show I played in Indiana. Okay. And I, I got on the mic, and this is like kind of infamous within like my group chats with Electric Hulk okay. of me and my friends. Of like, I got on the mic, and I was like, "All right, whenever I play this next one, I'm gonna see y'all shake that ass." <laughs> and it was like a joke, but there, but it wasn't. I'm just like super white, and like, <laughs> and there's like, there's like no ass shaking at all. What, I was like, "God, dang tried i was play it." Like, was it like a twerky uh, track or? I, I, yeah, yeah yeah it was like all right it was a song by frequency it was called detour okay. and it's like very 808y and like and like yeah yeah like it was like a frequent frequency bass or uh fucking you want to drop your ass to that shit but like Fuck, dude, it was, I, I was super cringe, and I was like, fuck, like, I, I was like, who gave me the money, like, 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 it was so funny, um, bro, I can't, so
1: I, I've DJed, right, and like, it helps yeah. to have a microphone and all these different things, but every single time that I i feel the exact same way every single time someone gives me the microphone i'm like i don't know what to do with this <laughs> I'm like, yeah. get it away from me i'm terrified of making a fool of myself
0: Dude, exactly like I, I i i'm i my problem is i'm too comfortable with the crowd in the sense of like i feel like i could say anything to the crowd and it would be all right but but i'm like like i said like i'm i i feel like i'm an attention whore so like i feel like I like to have fun with the crowd and get on the mic a lot. So like, but I'm also very cringy and white. So like, I, I <laughs> there's, there's, it's a very dangerous game for me to get on the mic. So I just choose and I, I get on it most of the time. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Like, dude, I, right, fucking this wasn't a story about me getting on the mic, but like, this was a really bad story. Like I was going through something emotionally at the time. Mm-hmm. And like, I was in, um, I was playing a show with human which is, like, one of my best friends along with Dugosh. Like, they're both some of my best friends. And I was playing a show with Human in uh, Tempe, Arizona with the Smokeland boys. They had us out, and they let us stay at their crib. Like, dude, they're super fucking cool. I fuck with them heavy. But I I ate meatloaf for the first time in Arizona that night because Harry from Smokeland told me to grab meatloaf at, like, this uh, bar we ate at before, and I did. And I don't think it settled with my stomach. So, like, on my rider, I had a half a bottle of whiskey. And this is when I still drank alcohol. Like, I haven't drank alcohol in a very long time. I don't like it. I don't like to drink anymore. But I drank, like, half a bottle of whiskey after I ate that meatloaf, like, 30 minutes before the show. I spent, like, the next five hours, like, trying not to throw up. And, like, I went on at 1 o'clock. And I ended up throwing up, like, 10 minutes before my set on security at the fucking show.
1: Wait, you throw up on security? Yeah. What did What do they do? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't think they're equipped I, for that.
0: <laughs> it, it, well, all right, so they brought basically the security guards bring a trash can up to me and like i the puke came out in just the right amount of time for it to get just kind of on his beard and his face oh no yeah dude and i looked at him i was like dude you can hit me i'm so sorry (laughs) like punch me in the face dude like i'm so fucking sorry and like i sobered up justin i sobered up in the right amount of time for me to play a good set and i like oh my god dude i was going through something like there's no i that was like the only show i've ever played where i was like drunk and like just fucking a clown like it was bad it was really bad i mean it definitely makes a good anecdote <laughs> yeah dude like the smoke and like the funniest thing the, the craziest thing that has ever fucking happened to me dude my plane me and humans plane on the way back from arizona because we flew back to asheville north carolina it almost fucking crashed and we almost died really it like, was insane how, yeah, yeah how did it almost crash so So we were on a small private plane or not private, but it was like a 50 seater. And like, Mm -hmm. so there, there's three connecting flights from um, Arizona to Asheville. It was like from Arizona to Houston, Texas, or Dallas, Texas from Texas to Charlotte, North Carolina, from Charlotte, North Carolina to Asheville, North Carolina, which is where human lives at. Mm -hmm. And the flight from Charlotte to Asheville, North Carolina is like 20 minutes. So, like, the plane's only plane's super small. It only held, like, 50 people. And the flight's only 20 minutes, right? So, like, 30 minutes into the flight, everybody's wondering, like, why the fuck we haven't landed yet. And, like, the the pilot gets on. And first of all, before, like, we even go, take off, the pilot announces to everybody once they get seated that, like, it's a new model plane with new technology and they're excited to have us on like that already scared the shit out of me <laughs> okay. and, and and like cuz nobody wants to hear that right like you want to hear like you've been on like a a a true fucking plane that's been around the globe a million times right. you know like it works okay um so like a 30 minutes in bro our fucking pilot gets on the intercom and is like yeah, we lost steering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm shitting my pants at this point. I'm like, what? <laughs> you lost steering? <laughs> so, like, and, and what sketched me out the most was this, right? Um, I was sitting in the very back of the plane, and the stewardess that was, like, because there was a stewardess at the front of the plane by the cockpit and the stewardess at the back of the plane next to us near the restroom. And she was chilling the whole time. She was like big chilling. She was on her phone, like very relaxed. And after that intercom, after the pilot got off the intercom, the stewardess beside us in the back got on the, like the interplane phone and talked to the stewardess at the front. Hmm. And like, cause the stewardess at the front basically went in the cockpit to ask the pilot, like what the fuck's happening and came out. So the other, so our stewardess like basically dialed her and was like, you what the fuck's happening? and like after the phone call ended she basically like str- like crossed her arms and held herself oh. i was like i was like that gave me chills bro i was like all right if she's fucking anxious like there's good reason for me to be anxious <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: so but so like what how, how do you what happened i mean like how do you lose steering do they recover steering somehow like i'm, I'm not familiar enough with with, yeah. with plane technology and that's something that just kind of comes and goes the,
0: so that first off that plane that that plane ride that was originally only supposed to be 20 minutes lasted about three hours okay and apparently what 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 happened was the first thing she said was like hey there's a light flashing up here and we think it's the steering that went wrong we need to figure it out we're talking to like we're talking to something we're talking to somebody on the ground right now to figure this out for y'all which is like very anxiety driven. I don't know why you would word it that way to like <laughs> your passengers. But like people were starting to freak out and praying and crying and shit on the plane. It was it was like, dude, like I was I literally was like, this is it for me. Like I never thought I would die on a fucking plane, but I thought we were gonna crash like emergency land in the fucking mountains and crash, you know? So basically like another hour goes by of just fucking circling around Asheville, North Carolina. Because like, we had to put it on cruise control to where we just circled around. So like my thought was we were you just going to run out of gas That's and you know right. die. But basically, she gets on again and clarifies like the landing gear isn't working properly and the steering with that isn't working properly. So basically, what she was alluding to is if we tried to land, she didn't know if she could steer us proper properly once we got on the ground, which you know is a problem. Yeah and um so i think they got it figured out Hmm. because like the landing gear i guess was freezing up and the landing was so rough when we finally landed though, like the guy beside me his arm like hit the fucking window so hard he started bleeding everywhere oh wow like i mean he was older though so like i guess that plays into it but like it was super rough and we had to get towed to our gate by trucks like it was a very long process and like i'm i still think like sometime or someday i'm gonna wake up on that plane again and i just (laughs) like i just like knocked out into like unconsciousness from anxiety were you already touring at this time yeah yeah i was touring mainly with human um because we just released the ep on saturate together Uh, like we played a show for zeke beats which which is funny enough he just texted me about like a collab we were working on and i think like my my, mic picked up like the ding in my notification but yeah um it's weird it was it was crazy and me and him still talk about to this day and like it scared the shit out of me it was the last plane actually flew on you know it's funny enough. if we talk about like stoicism and like taking or like not letting go of external factors it's like dude like Stoicism would have played a huge role in my life at that time if I just like let go of like shit I couldn't control because like that was something you can't control, bro. You're on a plane, like, like there's nothing there's dude, you're nothing out you of can control. Do. Yeah, Absolutely there's nothing, nothing you can do. Dude. Right. There's nothing you can do. You just have to sit there and like find peace with yourself. Yep, so, dude. Yeah, it was horrifying. <laughs>
1: We're approaching the last couple of moments here and Friar for those of us at home that are listening in that want to find out more about you. Um, how do we find you?
0: Yeah, dude, I, I am most active. Like I said, on Twitter, but you can find me on all platforms, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube through Fryer music is my handle for everything. And that's F R Y A R music on everything, you know? Um, so like I said, I'm most active on Twitter. If you want to talk to me through DMs or if you just want to tweet at me, like I'm more responsive on there than I am on Instagram or SoundCloud or Facebook.
1: Awesome. And I know that there's going to be a couple of us that are going to come out to uh, catch you at the uh, Revive Festival, the the retreat. Um, what should we expect from you there?
0: Dude, I'm very, very stoked about that because one is – First off, it is in my hometown in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, so I literally live two minutes away from the festival where it's being taken place, which is, you know, perfect. And also, I have a bunch of friends that are coming to play it and coming to watch it, so it's going to be such a nice way to, you know... To finally connect with some people I haven't been able to connect with because of COVID, and I think you could expect a set for me that showcases a lot of my older style, but a lot of the newer stuff that I've been putting out, and a lot and some unreleased with that as well.